Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. As a veterinary dermatologist, I clearly see a lot of allergic pets, so it is always fun to get a little bit of a mix-up in the clinic. So today I wanted to go over nasal planum diseases, what we kind of see as normal nasal planum, what diseases are more common to see with on the nasal planum, and then potentially just some differences in treatment options that can come with that. And this is feeding off a little bit from the response I received on the vasculitis podcast that was out last week. Just something a little different, because even though we deal with a lot of allergies in veterinary dermatology, it's not all allergies, and we have to recognize the things that are not going to be suggestive of allergic disease and what could be autoimmune, neoplastic, infectious, maybe something else that's going on. So what we do know about the nasal planum is that it's very unique. There's always comments out there saying that a nose print of a dog is almost like a fingerprint for a person, that it's completely unique to them if you really look at it individually. There is a thick epidermis that's on the nasal planum, and there's a lack of glands and hair follicles. When we're talking about differentiating nasal planum diseases, histopathology and biopsy becomes very, very important and pretty much necessary to really know what's going on with the nasal planum. Because a lot of the diseases we're going to talk about can have certain indications. It can be one versus the other. But ultimately, I have been wrong before on a case where I felt like it was going to be a DLE case, but it was a pemphigus case or vice versa. So biopsy becomes really, really important. And I know everyone gets really nervous about thinking of biopsy in the nose, but I promise you, if a dermatologist can do it, you can do it. I recently was at one of the uh, conference speaking and I made the joke, if you can cut a spleen out of an abdomen, open up an abdomen, you can biopsy a nose. Um, one general practitioner came up and said, I don't know if that's necessarily true. The spleen doesn't scare me as much as the nasal planum. Um, but I promise, I promise you can do it. So biopsy will be really important. We tend to see nasal planum diseases skew more towards autoimmune in dogs. And if there's true nasal planum disease in cats, it tends to be more likely to be neoplasia. Of course, you can still see neoplasia on the nasal planum of a dog and autoimmune disease on the nasal planum of a cat. But in general, if you think about the how many autoimmune diseases we diagnose on the nasal planum of a dog, we don't tend to see that as commonly in cats. We tend to see more things like, you know, squamous cell carcinoma, things of that nature. So as we kind of move on to some of these diseases, again, there's lots of differentiating factors that can help with diagnosis, but ultimately biopsy is going to be the most conclusive. So just zooming through some of the more common things we can see with neo, ne, um, oh, nasal planum, my goodness. So ultimately remember some of the changes that we expect to be more abnormal in nasal planum disease would be swelling of the nasal planum. You'll see loss of that cobblestone appearance. Sometimes that's the first thing that happens in acute cases of autoimmune disease um, or even neoplastic disease is that cobblestone appearance that is more common will be gone. 
They'll get depigmented. Um, they can get ulcerative, erosive, crusting. You also want to recognize if the disease is confined to the nasal planum or if you see other areas affected. So does it go up the muzzle and actually affect the haired areas, periocular regions? Just because the nasal planum looks scary, we still want to look at the rest of the body. Are the paw pads also really crusted and affected? If the paw pads are affected, I'm probably going to be thinking, okay, this might be more of a pimphigus case rather than a DLE case because DLE doesn't tend to affect the paw pads. Does it go just on the dorsal muzzle? I've had cases consulted, um, consulting on cases where I get told it's the nasal planum. I get sent a picture and it's actually that dorsal muzzle and the nasal, nasal planum is beautiful because then I might have other types of diseases on my list like trichophyton, like dermatophytosis can affect the dorsal muzzle region because dogs tend to put their muzzle into rodent holes and that's how they contract it. So really pay attention to what's actually being affected and what diseases you're seeing. But let's assume that you're actually seeing just the nasal planum that's affected. So we'll start with discoid lupus erythematosus. This is a photo-aggravated disease. Personally, when I did my residency in Southern California, I felt like I saw a lot more DLE cases compared to what I see now living in Portland, Oregon. I still see them here, don't get me wrong, but it really does seem like a lot of sunlight can aggravate it. So we might see it in areas that are more exposed to the sun, obviously nasal planum being one of them. It can also very much wax and wane this disease process. So it can, even without treatment, seem to get better on its own as many autoimmune cases can. Um, predisposed breeds that we can see Australian shepherds, collies, Shelties, Siberian Huskies, border collies, German shepherds. I've definitely seen a lot of Labrador retrievers with this disease. Um, at the dorsal nasal planum tends to be the most affected and it'll go up to the junction of the haired skin, the ventral alar folds. This will definitely be that classic loss of cobblestone appearance, loss of pigment, some erosions, ulcerations, crusting. You do tend to see that not many other areas of the body are affected, though I have had cases that get the periocular region affected or it's extended up the nose a bit toward, to that dorsal muzzle. I've also had a strange case of a German Shepherd with nasal planum lesions and then also um, some lesions on the ears. So you still can see it in other areas, but if you take the more common things we see, then it tends to be more the nasal planum region with lack of lesions to other places. When you biopsy DLE, it tends to come back with an interface dermatitis. They'll get those basal cells being more hydropic. You might have an occasional apoptotic keratinocyte, but it shouldn't be a ton of them. If there's tons of apoptotic keratinocytes throughout the whole epidermis, that's going to be more suggestive than something like erythema multiforme which we won't go into too much in depth here, but it is another disease that is autoimmune and can affect it. And then you'll get thickening of that basement membrane zone. It's really that interface dermatitis that is the most telling. That's kind of that lupoid like type pattern that we can see. Treatment, obviously trying to avoid the sun the best they can. So trying to stay inside if they're in really sunny areas when it's going to be those high sun times. You'll hear of toxicycline niacinamide being used pretty commonly in lupoid cases. 
Essential fatty acids can be used. Sometimes cyclosporin in really bad cases are needed, or if it's more focal, you could try 0.1% tacrolimus. I have had an occasional case not be as responsive to these therapies, and I've used off-label Apoquil. I have one case in particular that's done very, very well with Apoquil, despite not really tolerating or responding to other things. So it's not a common treatment I use, but one that we do see, you know, occasionally reported. The next uh, next disease I want to go over is pemphigus erythematosus or foliaceous. So one and the same kind of. There's a lot of debate in our field if erythematosus is truly its own disease or if it's just a more focal form of pemphigus foliaceous. So we're just going to lump them together for this particular talk. Um, the predisposed breeds we see, Akitas, Chows, Dachshunds, Newfoundlands. These cases can act very similar to DLE, they'll get that nasal depigmentation, ulcerations, and crusting. But what we tend to see is really more crusting and more areas of the body affected. Now, again, I've had the rare case that's just a nasal planum with pemphigus, and that's where that pemphigus erythematosus comes into play. But predominantly with pemphigus, we tend to see other areas of the body affected. So they can have pustules, erosions, just like that honey-colored yellow crusting other areas of their body. So you want to see, do they have it on their face, ears, trunk? Cause you could always biopsy those areas. Um, pustules are like a dermatologist's best friend. If you're going to biopsy and you know, it's not just a pyoderma and then paw pads. So definitely checking out the paw pads. Do they have a history of limping on those paw pads? Are they crusted? Because you could biopsy those as well. And that can be a good indication. And pemphigus is that disease process where essentially the little hands that reach out between keratinocytes and hold on to one another to keep that skin, those skin cells close together and protective get affected. And in dogs, we know it is a portion of that desmosome called desmocolin one. So essentially it's those skin cells prematurely lifting. You can sometimes find those premature cells, which are called acantholytic keratinocytes, just a skin cell, but it's lifted prematurely on cytology. But we also want to maximize the chance we're going to find those on histopathology. So pustules are great if you can find them. Again, making sure you've done some cytology to know that infection's controlled. But if you're biopsying these areas, get multiple spots and make sure to get crusted areas. Do not sterilely prep these biopsies. If you rub away that crust, you may end up actually rubbing away your answer. So as one of my technicians says, the crust is a must. If you have a lesion that you are biopsying and it is crusty, please, please, please make sure that you put that into the jar as well because that's sometimes where your AKs will hide. Lots of treatment options for pemphigus. Really anything that can be immunosuppressive or immunomodulatory can be used. Steroids being a hallmark, especially to get those under control. If you can't get them a low uh, dose of steroid long-term, azathioprine can be considered. Doxycycline niacinamide can be considered. Mycophenolate, leflunamide, and localized lesions. You can use tacrolimus. You also can consider Apoquil. Again, I don't use it as a first line therapy, but I do have a case that's actually doing quite well on it. And there is a recent um, paper that was presented by one of our now graduated residents that talked about the uses of steroid sparing effect with Apoquil with steroids. So off label, it's not the disease that it's on label for. But again, if you have cases where nothing else is working, then it's something that we have seen reports of in the literature. 
feline pemphigus does not tend to affect the nasal planum as commonly. If you've listened to previous podcasts, claw folds, mammary glands, ears, that tends to be more common. But of course, you can see that occasionally with cats where they'll have their nasal planum affected. Next disease, I don't see as much affecting the nasal planum, but it is reported, and that's cutaneous histiocytosis. It's a proliferation of dermal antigen-presenting cells. It does tend to be more limited to the skin and subcutis. You're not going to usually see it just affect the nasal planum, and there'll be more kind of alopecia erythematous nodules that you can see, and sometimes they come in with a history of respiratory signs that are there. So looking for those biopsies, collies and shelties are really predominantly seen with this disease. But those biopsies are going to show reactive proliferation of a bunch of dendritic cells and a lot of granulomatous inflammation. You want to make sure if you're suspecting this and you have a nodular disease, and this is a bit different than some of those other crusted diseases or depigmented diseases, that you also consider something like a tissue culture because clearly nodules that are affecting the nose or other places also can be things like deep fungal disease. Or you can at least try to run special stains if it seems like it's necessary. Most of the time, if you get histopath back with a bunch of granulomatous inflammation, the pathologist is going to suggest that you do some sort of special stains just to assure that you get that under control. Um, These cases, again, immunosuppressive medication, similar to what we talked about before, doxycycline, niacinamide, glucocorticoid, cyclosporin, all can be considered. It's not something we see a lot of, but something we do see. Erythema multiforme, like I mentioned before, we won't go super in depth with it, but it is one you want to be aware of. Whenever you see nasal planum disease or you're suspecting autoimmune, make sure to jump into the history and ask the owner if they have started anything new. So have there been new medications that have been started? Were they vaccinated most, you know, recently? Um, Have they been sick recently? Because of course, with any autoimmune disease, there could be a trigger. And that tends to be the case with erythema multiforme. Clinical signs, you'll get macules, plaques. You'll usually see them in other places of the body, but I have had nasal planums that have become depigmented and crusted along with other portions of the disease that we have seen, like having those red erythematous plaques along other parts of the body. In biopsying those areas, you're going to see a lot of apoptotic cells. That's kind of the pattern we see with EM is an interface dermatitis with just tons of keratinocyte apoptosis, which is cellular death on all levels of the epidermis. So biopsying other areas as well as the nasal planum can be really important. You also have a form of the disease called old dog EM, which we don't really know why they're developing it. Could there be internal neoplasia? Um, sometimes I can't find a reason they develop it, but those can be a bit more difficult to control. Um, removing the trigger can be really important. For example, I had a case in my residency where essentially this dog had been adopted as a heartworm positive dog and then got the treatment for that. So got melarsamine and then at the repeat injection at the month mark of that developed erythema multiforme. So I was able to get that dog under control with steroids and cyclosporin. And because we knew the cause of it or suspected cause of it, because we weren't going to repeat the injection to see if it happened again, we were able to eventually get that dog completely off of medication. So something else that we want to be thoughtful of and aware of. Now, there are some other diseases we can see in dogs that aren't necessarily autoimmune. So nasal parakeratosis. This one can be a bit difficult because they can be pretty mild. and You don't need to do anything or they can be more dramatic. 
it's not really a huge deal as long as they're not bleeding and painful from it, but they can. Some of them can get pretty bad. In Labrador Retrievers, we know this can be an autosomal recessive trait. So it's a hyperkeratotic condition, and usually it happens at the dorsal aspect of it, and you'll see dogs start to have it at a young age. So some of these cases we don't know. We have to biopsy just to know for sure that it is hyperkeratosis of the nasal planum and not truly an autoimmune disease. That keratin in really bad cases can get really tightly adhered and that thickness as they age can get more and more. So if it gets really bad, and if you think about Labrador retrievers, but we see this in some of our, you know, French bulldogs, English bulldogs, it can get to the point where it gets infected or actually gets like fissures in it and erosions, which can be uncomfortable. Biopsy is going to be pretty straightforward. You're going to see a lot of uh, parakeratotic hyperkeratosis with some neutrophilic exocytosis. And really it's a lifelong thing where if it's mild, you could just do nothing, benign neglect, or you could try to use a lot of moisturizers. So I'll use things like the Dermacent Biobomb. Um, there's Carousel that you can use in these cases, maybe even Aquaphor. Kind of a mis miscellaneous disease that can affect the nasal planum, vitiligo. So it's an acquired disease that happen it causes melanocyte destruction. So they'll get leukoderma and leukotrichia, Usually they'll see, you'll see it in other places of the body, like they'll just start to white out at a really young age, but I have had a couple of cases where it's just the nasal planum. So what you'll usually see is they lose their pigment, but the true, uh, like cobblestone appearance is intact. So they don't get swollen. They don't have any of those changes, but certainly if you're not sure biopsy, um, can still be done to rule out other causes. We do know Rottweilers, Doberman Pinchers, are predisposed, but again, seen them in plenty, seen vitiligo in plenty of breeds. The histopath's going to come back pretty boring. So if they know you're looking for vitiligo, certainly looking for lack of melanocytes, you get might get a mild inter interface dermatitis, but really everything's going to look pretty normal. Um, kind of a different weird miscellaneous disease is proliferative arteritis of the nasal philtrum. So this is much, much more unique. Essentially the philtrum, that kind of area separating the two nostrils will just get focal ulcerative lesions. Um, St. Bernard's are classic for this disease. And we definitely see a, a stronger predilection predilection in St. Bernard's. Of course, we don't see a lot of St. Bernard's. They tend to start as young adults, but I've seen in other breeds like bloodhounds, Labrador retrievers, you can biopsy these, and if you look in the literature, they'll actually be reported as sometimes, you know, therapeutic. But talk about bleeding. I'm pretty brave when it comes to biopsying the nasal planum, but I don't love the idea of having to get, like, intermittent arterial bleeding as a result of my biopsy. So I've had these actually, I've heard of cases having to go to the ER after biopsies. So if it's just the nasal planum and it looks classic, I don't necessarily jump to biopsy, but certainly you can. Um, deep dermal arteries and arterioles will have a lot of proliferative arteritis and stenosis of the vessels. Um, same as far as treatment goes, you could use steroids. I've actually had a lot of success in the few that I've had with tacrolimus. And since this more focal area, it's something that certainly can be utilized in those cases. So just something to really consider. Now getting to some not so awesome diseases, hepatocutaneous syndrome. We tend to think of hepatocutaneous syndrome as just crusty paw pads, which we do ultimately see a lot of with hepatocutaneous syndrome, but it actually can affect the nasal planum as well. Um, the muzzle, mucocutaneous areas of the face, just the limb, paw pads can get crusting, ulcerations, vesicles. 
These dogs tend to feel pretty crummy. They're lethargic. They can be limping if their paw pads are affected. They can have GI signs. Essentially, their liver is not doing well, and this is kind of an external manifestation of that. Their classic histopathology, you'll hear it called like the French flag or American flags, that red, white, and blue. So on those biopsies, they'll see more red lesions, which would be diffuse perikeratotic hyperkeratosis. The more white is vacuolation, so their keratinocytes get really edematous and it appears more white. And then the blue being like a hyperplasia and neutrophil accumulation. If I have a dog come in and they have a history of not feeling good, I'm suspecting hepatocutaneous syndrome, and maybe they have a history of their liver values being really high, um, I will biopsy them if owners can financially afford it. But if there's some concern with finances, sometimes I'll just send them in for abdominal ultrasound because there's really a pathognomonic pattern to their their liver on ultrasound, which is called the honeycomb pattern due to liver degeneration. And then of course, lab work to make sure that they're feeling better. The prognosis can be pretty poor with hepatocutaneous syndrome. Um, You can certainly, I'll refer them to have amino acids with an internal medicine specialist, which can really help because it's essentially some of the problems we're seeing. Um, But it is pretty involved in something that owners have to be aware of and committed to. Epitheliotropic cutaneous lymphoma. So again, kind of ending with some of the ones that aren't as awesome. So cutaneous lymphoma can really do whatever the heck it wants. And we predominantly see this in dogs versus cats. So epitheliotropic cutaneous lymphoma. Unfortunately, in dogs, it tends to be a T-cell lymphoma that's CD8 positive. So it will often affect other places of the body. Like they'll get really big silvery scales on their trunk. They can get really erythematous. That doesn't blanch. They're older dogs. They can be very itchy or not that itchy at all. But I have had an occasional case where really just the nasal planum gets affected, depigmented. Sometimes the nasal planum and around like their mouth or their eyes gets depigmented. But look at other parts of the body for erythroderma, plaques, tumors, And like I said, that paritis can be very variable. Biopsy should be pretty straightforward with these cases. Essentially, it's called epitheliotropic lymphoma because the lymphocytes love the epithelium and they're just really attracted to it. So you'll see accumulations of lymphocytes to that epidermis and you'll get what's called pouchery microabscesses in some cases as well. You can also see atypical lymphocytes on cytology or aspirate of some of these cases. I really try to refer these cases to oncology just so there's more options available. Um, Lamustine or CCNU is kind of the classic treatment plan. takes a lot of monitoring and something that I have treated them with before, but I try to really get them to see oncology. Plus, you can use things like prednisone um, in those cases too. Um, essential fatty acids in some papers have been reported to be helpful. There's also a new, um, medication called Laveridia that I've seen some response, like some suggestions of potentially could be used in this. So I think it's usually used more in like B cell lymphoma. And then with cats, the main thing we see again, any of these things technically could happen in cats. Pemphigus certainly can affect those areas, like the nasal planum of cats. I haven't really seen like a lot of lupoid diseases or anything like that. But if we do see changes to the cat's nose, one, eosinophilic granuloma can also do whatever it wants. So be thoughtful of that. But I'd say predominantly, especially if you're seeing a white colored cat, squamous cell carcinoma is the main thing we tend to see. Or like if you're in an area of deep fungal diseases, you could see that as well, like crypto. For squamous cell carcinoma, 
It is a malignant neoplasm that happens because of keratocyte degener- uh, differentiation going haywire. Um, so it's usually white cats have had a lot of sun exposure. So we see it kind of like daily. We talked about sun exposure to the nose. Clearly the nasal planum is going to be more exposed. The eyelid and pinna of cats can also be affected. There's a study that suggests white cats can have 13 times greater risk of developing squamous cell carcinoma. Um, so definitely if they're a white cat that suns a lot and they've got ulcerative lesions in their nasal planum ears, squamous cell carcinoma until proven otherwise. Histopath, irregular masses of cords of keratinocytes that tend to proliferate downward and invade the dermis. You'll also hear of things called keratin pearls and they'll have abnormal mitosis and atypia. 80% of squamous cell carcinomas are found on the head of cats. So definitely be looking closely. You can surgically remove them to the best of your ability. Of course, you could do a nosectomy, refer them out for that. Um, there's also reports of other options. It's like cryotherapy, radiation therapy, photodynamic therapy, intralesional chemotherapy. We usually try to send them out for things like surgical removal and then follow up with an oncologist. You do want to make sure again, that if you are biopsying some of these nodules or affected areas, if you are concerned about, uh, infectious etiologies, do tissue cultures or request special stains, because we do know there can be fungal organisms, especially depending on where you are geographically, that also can cause changes in these areas. So the moral of the story is a lot of these diseases can look very similar. You know, we also, another one I didn't cover today, vasculitis, vasculitis can affect the nasal planum as well. You can check out the podcast from last week to really, um, hear more about that, but it can cause depigmentation and changes to the nasal planum. But the moral story is check out other areas of the body, make sure it's not just the nasal planum that's affected biopsy, biopsy, biopsy. We know that in general, autoimmune disease tends to be more common compared to in dogs compared to neoplasia and cats. And then keep things like infectious organisms on your, and your kind of differential list in case you do need to collect tissue cultures at the same time, or consider at least adding on special stains. So hopefully you guys find that helpful. I know it's a ton of information kind of packed into one podcast episode. I do have some more separate podcast episodes about these different individual diseases, which you may find really beneficial and helpful. Don't be afraid to go back. The podcast has been out for almost four years now, which is crazy. Go back a few years. Some of my original podcast episodes where you do see some of these diseases uh, explained a bit more in depth, but nasal planum diseases, certainly something we're not going to typically see with allergies unless they're traumatizing their nose. So have these other differentials we talked about on your list. Um, and I hope that you find that really informative and something that you can utilize in the clinic tomorrow.